this is Martin Willis, your host, and it feels great to be back. I had a lot of fun with uh, Dean last week, co-hosting with him, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to invite him back uh, now and then uh, to do some shows together. I mean, it was great fun. And uh, I also want to thank him kindly for the wonderful job he did in my absence. And it feels great to be back. Our guest tonight is the one and only James Fox. Always uh, love talking to James. He's got great energy. And uh, we're going to be talking about his movie, Moment of Contact. Uh, the blog this week, it's the third in the series. And it's called Behind the Scenes of UFO, of UFO Cover-Up. That was a series uh, back in the 1980s live. It was called UFO Cover-Up? Live. So this is part three on that by Charles Lear. Those are always made into an audio blog. So um, they're up on YouTube and I believe Facebook. Um, anyway, uh, so I, uh, I want to thank everyone for watching the show tonight. I'll try to keep an eye on uh, the chat uh, later on in the show. If you'd like to pose a question, please put it in all caps. And uh, right now I would like to play the trailer for the movie that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight with James. In 1996, the people of Virginia, Brazil, witnessed a UFO event that would change their lives forever. Só que ele planeava e ia perdendo lentamente a altitude e ia caminhando. Call it another Roswell, if you will. It is a crashed vehicle that had beings on board. Mas que eles não poderiam admitir a verdade a população entra em colapso. Nada temos a esconder. Finally, the facts will be revealed. The Virginia case is considered the most well-kept secret in the military circles of Brazil. My objective here is to put some clarity on what took place in Virginia, Brazil, January 1996. The witnesses are some of the most compelling testimony I've ever heard. Meu nome é Carlos de Souza. Meu nome é Cátia Xavier. Meu nome é Liliane Silva. Meu nome é Valkyria Silva. Action! A lot of people in this town have a little piece of the puzzle. Naquele local, eu vi o rastro da criatura pé. Foi onde ele falou que que eu vi era uma coisa sobrenatural. This year, Mark Pelicheres he had captured this creature with his bare hands. Você confirma que o seu irmão estava de serviço naquele dia 20? Confirmo. After he captured the creature, he developed this infection that wouldn't go away. Foi pro CTI de manhã, 7 horas da manhã, 15 para o meio-dia, ele veio a óbito. This can no longer be covered up. They might shoot us because we're on the property. This can't be denied. Bateram na porta. E aí celular para mim. Fica quieto. Se qualquer um que sofrer uma punição muito severa. This was proof. We pull this off. It'll be the most compelling testimony revealed. Of contact. This is a level of confirmation that only a handful of people on this planet have. Wow, James. 
I got to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. And I think it does a good job at that. Yeah. Uh, so this is great uh, to talk to you once again about this this movie. But now it's in uh, you've been having a couple of premieres. You have one coming up next week and on uh, right right on Broadway, right in New York. And uh, you had the one out people. in L.A. And yes. you've got there. The, and I don't know if you could talk about what you said earlier. Um, it's being reviewed by a major theater. Oh, well, uh, so Regal um, was, I guess, somewhat reluctant to have the premiere at their theater just because it, they weren't sure if there was a demand for it. Um, but that was uh, put to rest after our premiere at uh, LA Live. Um, they opened up their theater in New York and they've also talked about the possibility of doing scattered screenings across America. So we'll see. Wow. One, one, one thing at a time. Right. And do you like to, when they're doing a screening or a premiere, you, you are there, right? I mean, you want, yes. and do you actually talk to the people, answer questions, yes. anything like that? You do. Absolutely. Yeah. We do a yeah. Q and A at the end of it. We, yeah. um, we do uh, what is it, step and repeat, you know, people get up and take their picture with the backdrop of moment of contact. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it feels kind of, you know, Hollywood, I guess. And I'm not a Hollywood guy. You know what I mean? I've never lived in Hollywood. I've never wanted to live in Hollywood. I've always lived in the country and kind of away from all that. And people are like, if you want to be successful, you have to move to Hollywood. I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. You really live in the country now. I was I've had such a great time visiting you there back in June. I do. Uh, beautiful. I live in the country, right? Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I like rural. I like mountains. I like nature. I like to go out. I like to hike. I like to see wildlife. You're it right really there. grounds me, you know, and I, yeah. I, I have fun in the cities and that's great. But when it comes to living, I like serenity and peace. And Excellent. Excellent. So how is the, uh, well, we'll talk about, you know, the movie and what it was like to film. And I remember we were in touch when you were down there. Uh, filming and I believe yeah you sent me a text right when you thought you were going to be shot at I remember that that was uh, that was a crazy time down there but uh, so but first of all I'd like to ask you this what what made you decide you were going to look at this and look at it deeply the way and make a, a film about it well okay how far do you want me to go back here um, <laughs> I'll go back to the late 90s <clears throat> There was a gentleman that I worked with who was a co-producer on a film I did called Out of the Blue. Oh, yeah. Great one. Yeah. And I think we started concept with that late <clears throat> 90s, 98, probably <clears throat> 99 would be my guess. Probably 99 because I was filming in Russia in 99. So 98, 99. And my co-producer, one of them, was Boris Zuboff and this other guy named Tim Coleman. And Tim... Uh, said, you know, when we're sort of mapping the idea of the concept of the film out, he was like, hey, there's this UFO crash in Brazil. I don't know if you heard about it, but apparently these live these aliens survived and they were walking through the town. And I was like, oh, come on. What fantasy land are you living in, you know? And uh, I think it really kind of, um, I, in fact, I know it kind of upset Tim Coleman um, because uh, I dismissed it so quickly. Funny enough, I gave a, if you look at the credits at the end, the special thanks, I give a credit to Tim Coleman because he was the one that introduced me to this case. 
So fast forward, probably 2010, maybe 2011 at the latest, I'm going to a place called Peruibi in the South to give a presentation on a film I did called I Know What I Saw, where I worked on a press club uh, presentation uh, in Washington, D.C. In, in 2007 with the help of Leslie Kane. And we flew in all these high-level military and government officials from seven countries, and they testified as to the reality of the phenomenon, as well as pushing for more government transparency, yada, yada, yada. So in any case, I'm uh, about to fly down to Brazil, and I get a phone call from a buddy of mine who's been very influential, uh, pulling the strings behind the scenes for me, high up on the sort of entertainment food chain. His name's Jeff Sagansky. And um, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't mind me. He's got a credit in the movie now as well. He's like, oh, you're going to Brazil? And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, you got to look into Virginia. And I was like, oh, my God. Don't tell me this guy's drank the Kool-Aid, too. You know, because I'm thinking, okay, we got Tim Cole, the thing about it, who I have a lot of respect for, very bright guy. Now I got, you know, this guy, who's, I think he was head of, former head of Sony Pictures. You can look him up. And uh, now he's telling me, and I was like, uh, sure, Jeff, I'll look into this alleged UFO crash. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Click. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I went to Brazil, and at the conference, I happened to meet some people uh, that were either direct witnesses or witnesses, friends with some of the witnesses, and uh, kind of piqued my interest a little bit. So I started digging into it. And then I went back uh, four times, each time for about a month. And, um, you know, in, in, in actuality, I was going to try and put the Virginia case into the phenomenon. And I worked on it extensively. I had probably, I don't know, seven to nine months of work on and off of editing. Wow. I had the segment ready to kind of quasi ready to go. And at the last minute, I thought, hmm, no, this doesn't quite fit. It's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. And the story probably deserves a documentary of its own. And I've been working with this guy, fellow producer friend of mine, Marco Leal. Oh, yeah. He, in Brazil for like well over a decade. And he was devastated when the phenomenon, I mean, of course he loved the phenomenon, but he was like, what happened to Virginia? You didn't include it. I said, you know, I think we're going to have to do our own documentary on just that case. So it was a rather lofty task, but um, we, you know, we'd already had, I'd had 10, 11 years under my belt with the case and he's got 15 to 18 years under his belt. And then all the other fellow researchers in Brazil, and we all kind of huddled and and uh, and 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 made it happen. And I, I feel like that there's so much content, so many pieces of the puzzle that it it deserved its own. Uh, it, it deserved to be a film just on that case. You know, I when I watched that. Um, you sent me the, uh, I forget what you call it, the rough cut. Um, I don't know, way back in uh, May, I believe, of this year. Uh, by the time I got done watching that, I was pretty much convinced that, and I had heard about this case, you know, years ago, but I was pretty much convinced that there's no way this didn't happen. You know what I mean? It just, and it's bizarre. I mean, uh, I remember feeling after watching this feeling like that poor alien 
that was that uh, was so scared, uh, according to the two girls, uh, three girls. And, uh, you know, it just makes you feel sorry for him. And then, you know, everybody one of the all right, this is the convincing parts of it to me is everybody's basically describing the same thing. You know, the oily skin, the red eyes, the odor, sulfur like odor, I believe it is. And uh, and then there were. The, the one thing that's a little confusing to me, and you can clear this up, was there two beings and one was found that was dead or is that the same being that was fleeing? So there were reports of up to five beings, ah. but we only had credible testimony, enough substan substantial or substance on two captures, one with the fire department and mm -hmm. one with those two military police officers. Eric Lopes and, and Marco Trees. So we'd heard of accounts, you know, look, nobody in the town ever thought this is an alien from another world. It, not even the people that captured him, Eric Lopes and Marco Trees. It was like <clears throat> some of the girls that came within eight to 10 feet of this alive being thought it was the devil. People were terrified. Uh, they called it a creature. They called it the devil. They called, they didn't know, you know, but it did have, it did have, uh, according to the witnesses, feelings, fright. It was, mm -hmm. it was feeble. Um, it wanted help. One of the um, aspects of the encounter with the three girls, Katya, Liliani and Valkyria. There were two sisters that were 14 and 16, and then the older one, Katya, was 21. And they were going through this vacant lot with a cinder block wall and tall grass. And it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, between 3 and 3.30. In the afternoon, it was January 20th, hot in Brazil. during the, Their winters are our summers, and their summers are our winters, right? Mm. So, um... Uh... I think it was Liliani, the 16-year-old that saw it first. And again, I remind your 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 audience, your listeners, it was broad daylight and they came within eight to ten feet of this thing. Now hmm. it was somewhat like frozen in a position where it had its hands down, it was kind of looking down and kind of squatting down, crouching, and feeble, uh scared, uh non-threatening. Um, suffering. And I think Liliani let out a yell of terror, of, you know, fright. And it turned. So from this position, and it turned and it looked them right in the eyes. Okay. Mm. Its eyes were three to four times bigger than that of a human eye. Liliani grabs her 14 year old daughter. Sorry her 14-year-old sister, Valkyria, and they bolt out of there as fast as they can. Katya, the 21-year-old, is frozen in her tracks, locked eyes on this being, right? And there's some mm -hmm. level of communication that's going on during this moment. In fact, that's where the the uh, title of the film came from, is I, as a as, as a filmmaker, I'm, al I'm also an editor, I'm, I'm always thinking of um, the audience, I'm, I'm thinking of people that are engaging and watching the movie. And it's such an extraordinary 
potentially once in a lifetime testimony. I, I want as the director, as 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 an editor, but also as a viewer, I want to be in that moment, that moment of contact, locking eyes with this being. Okay. Put me there. And I always want to get as many details as I possibly can, because even though it's probably only just a few seconds, time slows down in that moment, right? Hmm. And, it's, and you have something that's that intense. It's like, right. And, uh, and so I said, you know, put me there in that moment of contact. What did you feel? What did you see? What did you, you know? And that's when she said that it, that it was communicating to her that it wanted help. It was scared. It was, it was, it was weak and it was suffering. Hmm. Um, and, and, and I always think about like, imagine a different case scenario. Imagine if these girls had not run off. Imagine if they'd provided this being shelter. Imagine if they'd, you know, I just seen the film mm -hmm. E for the first time in a long time with my son, you know, and mm -hmm. I just thought, wow, the parallels. And I know it sounds like sci science fiction. I, I believe me, I know that. As someone who was making a documentary on the topic of UFOs in the late 90s, and it's made, you know, four since, um, I completely understand the level of skepticism that, that this film could, the story could be potentially met with. And I don't blame anyone for feeling that way. But you could imagine, like, uh, had it gone a different route, had had these girls decided to help this creature. And it almost did make me kind of sad to think about, you know, representatives of the Brazilian military and army and fire department. Um, you know, there was one witness that heard the capture and he said it was crying. They, what, and they were asking this guy, who was a construction worker, what was what did you you know it's like it was crying like a baby when they captured it oh it very, very very scared it's a very uh it's, not that many people that watch this film get that part but uh, every now and again i'll get someone go oh, that moment <clears throat> that witness said it was crying like a baby really profoundly affected me hmm. it did me as well i just thought you know of course i'm 12 years into this case i've talked to all the key witnesses um I'm convinced it happened. I wouldn't have wasted all that time otherwise and certainly put my credibility on the line. I get that. But uh, but I do, it does uh, bother me a little bit that um, how these beings were reportedly uh, treated and, and uh, you know, just what would have happened had the girls, and I'm sure, look, you know, they were... Uh, perfectly justified to be terrified of this thing. I have no doubt that I probably would have done the exact same thing, but it is makes one kind of curious to know, just to think about like, you know, in an alternate reality, what would have happened if they would have taken this thing in and provided it shelter and helped it uh, escape the, uh, the capture from the authorities. Wow. But then again, supposedly the, I think it was a military officer. Was it a fireman that carried supposedly carried, or captured and carried, and he ultimately died. Yeah. Uh, and so more, yeah. So um, what we did for the first time, that, uh, according to all the Brazilian researchers that that I worked with, is I fly a drone, mm -hmm. and I like to get up above an area, um, you know, sighting, uh, maybe whether it's a crash site or an encounter or capture or whatever it is. And just get some aerial photography. And I did that on a number of uh, pretty much every scene and everywhere we shot across Brazil. And one thing we realized 
see if I can show your, your audience, because this is fascinating. This is something that we've determined kind of, well, out in the field, but even more so um, in, the, uh, in the edit room. I'll just show you guys really quickly here. So you got. Are you drawing something? I am. <laughs> so you've got an area, let's say this is like four square blocks, right? Maybe two here and four across. You know, you've got the military blockade here. So we have eyewitness testimony there that the military wouldn't let anybody in. Then you've got this, this one here. This is where the girls encountered the creature at three o'clock in the afternoon, January 20th. And then just a couple blocks away, this is where the capture took place. And again, these are just, you know, four or five square blocks. And we got the whole thing from the air. We realized, my God, this all took place. A lot of this took place in a, in a rather small spot. Um, at about 5 o'clock, 5.30 p.m., a gentleman by the name of Eric Lopes and Marco Chiris are on patrol on the lookout for something strange, something unusual, something like this. They didn't know what. They weren't given that kind of information. And they're driving just a couple blocks away, about two hours after the girls had that encounter with that strange being, when this thing apparently runs right across the road in front of them. And uh, the driver slams his brakes on, Marco Trees in the passenger seat, leaps out, and uh, with very little effort, and, and very little resistance is able to capture this thing with his bare hands. Mm -hmm. Now, according to the researchers and his family, in the process, he got a little scratch here, somewhere mm -hmm. around here on his arm. Not a big scratch, a little scratch, but this creature had this weird oil all over. They all, everybody described this oil, even when it was deceased. It had this weird oily brown skin with lots of oil, like silicone. And, uh, According to uh, the researchers and the family, uh, Marco fell ill. Um, he apparently, within a day or so after, he was rubbing, putting rubbing alcohol over to get the smell and this oil off of him. Um, within a couple of weeks, he fell ill. He uh, admitted himself to the hospital. Um, he had this uh, systematic immune system failure. The doctor who we interviewed through the book, I mean, through like the kitchen sink, he tried every type of antibiotic and he said his immune system, he'd never seen anything like it 20 plus years prior, 26 years later after, never seen anything like this. Perfectly healthy, 23-year-old soldier dies. Jeez. And um, and for the for the first time in history, the Dr. Cesario, the, the very doctor who worked on him back in 1996, um, Gave us an on-camera interview and and revealed his not only his identity, his face, his everything, and um, it was extraordinary. And and we interviewed the, the his sister, um, uh, Marta. Talks about you know the visits they got from the military and what the Brazilian uh, military told the deceased officer's mother and the family. Basically, that this story was true, that it couldn't come out because society would collapse. That was the justification that they used back in 1996. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, funny enough, I, I uh, probably probably back in 2014, I was shooting um, was then called uh, it's a working title 701. It ultimately oh, yeah. mm -hmm. became the phenomenon. And, and uh, I was shooting in Los Angeles and I was 
had a laser-like focus on Rua at the time. I'd fl- I was flying in witnesses from different corners of the world. Um, Randall Nickerson was helping me out with that. And uh, Roger Lear found out that I was doing also uh, working on Virginia. And Dr. Roger Lear was adamant, and I, one of my biggest regrets, he was adamant to get an interview with me. And I had camera crews set up, but I was so busy during that time. I kept kind of, you know, delaying this, this interview with him. And he's like, well, and he was kind of upset with me. And he's like, well, if you're not going to interview me, I said, no, Dr. Lear, it's not that I don't want to interview you. I've just been so busy. I, you know, all this stuff that was happening. And, and uh, he's like, well, at least take my tapes. Hmm. And I said, uh, your tapes? He said, yeah, I went to Virginia in 2002 and I did extensive uh, investigations and interviews and, and you can have them all. Just take my tapes. So I took all of his tapes and I transferred them digitally. And then I sent them back to him and uh, he died. Right. Um, yeah. I found out that he died. And, um, and when I read his book, I, anyway, those tapes contained on-camera testimony that proved to be in, invaluable to right. the production. And we included mm-hmm. him in the film and, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, but he interviewed Marco Trezzi, the deceased military officer involved in the capture. He interviewed his wife. His wife's never been seen before or since in 2002. With the help of the leading Brazilian UFO researcher Ubarajara Rodriguez, and there was another gentleman named uh, Hector Pacchini, who's come back online in the last couple of days, revealing some pretty astonishing uh, facts about the case. But um, um, yeah, uh, Marco Trezzi's wife wasn't ever given uh, any explanation for how exactly, you know, why her husband died, how he died. They were super secretive on the autopsy. They were super secretive on on the uh, death. You know, the they had to, like, fight to get the, the death certificate. I mean, it was a, the whole thing was just shrouded in secrecy and, and just they wanted to put his body in the ground immediately. The moment he stopped breathing, they wanted to bury that guy. Hmm. And um, no autopsy, of course, I guess. Well, I'm not entirely sure. They did find some stuff like they found some there's a report in the in the in the film but in any case dr roger lear he traveled he traveled to brazil in 2002 with a fellow doctor i have his name i just don't have it at my fingertips and they according to dr roger lear's book and i read the book and i've looked at all the tapes and the book for the most part, is a transcript of the tapes, hmm. the interviews that he did. However, there were a couple of meetings that Dr. Roger Lear was involved with in his book. According to his book, everything else was accurate because I had the tapes. He met with a couple of doctors that performed some type of surgery, surgical uh, procedure on one of these creatures that was still alive. And there was some level of communication. Again, this is according to Dr. Roger Lear in his book. And uh, I have uh, yet to get access to these doctors. The other uh, gentleman that was traveling with Dr. Roger Lear, unfortunately, by the time I got to him, which was last year, he had just died. So he was the only other 
person in the room other than Ubedajara Rodriguez, and he won't talk to me. Maybe he'll change his mind. But but again, according to Dr. Roger Lear, in his book, there was communication with the live creature in the hospital with a couple of doctors. Wow. And let's since since you're talking about this right now, oh, let me just pull up this question here because. Um, was there footage taken by a fireman or was this, what is the video that, um, I know I talked to you, um, offline about this, but, uh, but do you forth, do you see that that video may come available at some point? So I need to be careful with what I say because I don't want to jeopardize our efforts right now. Sure. Um, let's just put it this way. Uh, just because you definitively locate something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can get your hands on it. Frustrating. Um, uh, to say the least. Um, remember, not a single witness, not a single person that appeared on camera in this film didn't do so very willingly. It mm. was a fight sometimes, you know, uh, over a decade. Gee. Marco Leal has been working so hard uh, on, on getting some of these people that, that testified for the first time in history on this case. Um, most of them were like, it's never going to happen. We're never going to come forward. In the process of those investigations, we came across um, uh, very credible sources to photographic evidence, both photo photos and video. Um, and uh, it, it's been more difficult because a lot of the old researchers, there was Claudio Covo. He has since deceased. Uh, there's Ubrajara Rodriguez, and in 2004, 2005, he did an about-face. And there is uh, Victor Pacchini, who has disappeared for 18 years, who's just resurfaced last week. Now, that's a very good sign because Pacchini has got his finger on the pulse. He uh, was working with the Brazilian military back in 1996, even taking video statements from them himself as a sort of security for uh, them, the soldiers, that if anything uh, should happen to them, those tapes that were scattered all across the, the, the country would be released. And so, um, hmm. yeah, and so uh, uh, he has decided for whatever reason, uh, just last week, um, I'm getting back in and I'm going after uh, everything that I know and... Um, so we now we have him on our on our on our team, and so um, and he just spoke with the New York Post, as well as another eyewitness. I don't know if you guys managed to catch that New York Post article by yes. uh, Matthew Schellenberger, I believe it was. Um, those guys actually did due diligence. I mean, they really they needed to talk to more than just one person who who's seen the footage of the creature. And they 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 really worked on it for uh, at least a week, um, talking to talking to people in Brazil, 
and they put that together pretty nicely. And if you read that article, that gives like um, unprecedented testimony of what the videotaped evidence reveals. And it's pretty remarkable. I highly suggest anyone out there to go read that New York Post article. Now, there was two. One that came out, I think, on a Friday. The second one that's far more elaborate with photographs. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm checking, I think it's Schellenberger. Uh, I, I could look it up right now so you'll know for sure. Well, because, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull it right up here in just a second. Here. Okay, great. Yeah, because uh, I'm telling you, these guys did their due diligence. And Michael Schellenberger, yeah, he did a great job. He spoke directly for the first time in history. Yep. Uh, yeah, so scroll down on that. Is that, because, uh, again, there was two. No, see, that's the wrong one. That's, that's the, wrong the wrong one. one. Yep, that's okay. the wrong one. So it's that's the, the one. That's the one that I read. I didn't read the other one. but The other one is the only one worth reading. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm okay. just telling you, because he's got, for the first time in history, he's got uh, accounts. Is this it? Michael Schellenberg. That's it. Yeah, okay. that's the article. So that's the one you guys want to read. It's out. And I right. will link. I will link this in the show notes for mm -hmm. for everyone. Yeah. That's got never before seen or, or heard testimony, detailed testimony of what the photographic evidence reveals. And both of the people in the article, uh, know where that footage is. Wow. So you've actually personally have spoken to someone that has actually seen the video is three people you've spoken to three people that have seen the video i mean to me that's that's pretty compelling and i remember i know you pretty can't compelling say and pretty frustrating <laughs> yeah i remember um you mentioned that it's not about a money thing there's money that will not change uh, the way someone might release that that has their hands on it. I don't know how much you can say or can't say here, but I remember that was kind of the theme that you had mentioned what was going on at the time. So it has to be another type of motivation for this person to let this go. Well, you know, people that participated in the film um, <clears throat> were so scared. Just eyewitnesses. Okay, not not eyewitnesses that had evidence, but just eyewitness eyewitnesses to the event. People that participated in one way or another with the capture of the transportation, mm -hmm. anything like that. Terrified. I mean, look at uh, Eric Lopes when we rolled up on him at his house. Oh yeah, that was a real scene. There wasn't yeah. anything that was staged in there. That happened as it mm -hmm. happened, and I said to one of the leading Brazilian UFO researchers just recently, my God, I think we almost got shot mm. when we went to Eric Lopes's place. I mean, that was no joke. It's a military intelligence officer. Um, he said, to the, the researcher said, back in 1996, he made it certain to me, as clear as day, steer clear if you want to stay alive. Like, do not even think of coming near me as, as trying to get any statements out of me. And this guy could so easily have just come out of the house and said, you know, this, this whole thing is just a bunch of nonsense. It's gotten way out of hand. There's nothing to any of it. I didn't, I wasn't driving the car that night of the capture easily. He could just easily make a statement and be, be done with it. But instead 
He says, uh, if you're here to talk about the ET, he's not going to say anything. And bullets are going to start flying if you don't get out right. of here. Yeah. You know? You had the translator uh, make that pretty clear. Well, quickly. he didn't actually make it clear in the field. That was later than oh, the interim. No. I realized Is that, that right? I, oh. My life well, three times. You kind of were scattering, though. I had no idea. I mean, yeah. it was pretty intense. I mean, one of the things that I've talked about on a couple of podcasts that, uh, you know, for those of you who've seen the scene, um, I could see Dave Dave West, our DP, uh, said he had the wrong lens. He was not anticipating that type of encounter. He was expecting <clears> the guy would come out and he could, but he was up in a window looking down at us at a, at a distance, at a little bit of a distance. But I was right across from him and I, and I was, look, it was Portuguese being spoken quickly. It was very intense. I could feel the atmosphere, the tense atmosphere. And I looked this man in the eyes and I've never in all my years seen a face like his, like, like the, like the eyes and the face had been harboring a deep, dark secret. And that had taken a toll on him. Mm. I've never seen anything like it. If you can imagine, and look, I'm just, you know, this guy might not have seen anything, but I'm I, 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 pretty sure he did. But if you can imagine witnessing an event of that magnitude, hmm. having one of your best friends die as a result of it, and the whole world coming after you for answers, the military saying, you know, God knows what the military told him. Um, imagine having to shelter that that secret for 26 years and imagine how that might affect i mean look he won't even give a statement to his very dear friend marco trees's family okay so he lost a friend during that after that night mm. and eric lopes married the deceased officer's sister okay when after that encounter, we contacted his wife, Eric Lopes's wife. What is it going to take to get a statement on camera from Eric Lopes? Her response was, "You bring my brother back to life, and he'll talk with you." Oh my God! Wow! I swear, I swear that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, a, a couple of things um, comes to mind. Uh, while we're talking here, you showed earlier on, you showed the, the block where, you know, the, the, the square of, of and where the witnesses were. Uh, so that general area, how far away as the crow flies, would you say the purported crash was? I think it was about six miles. And I've always confused with the, uh, you know, I know, I understand kilometers. I used to live in Europe. So, but I, but I think the researchers said it was roughly 10 kilometers. So I'm going to say roughly six miles, six miles mm -hmm. away. Now there's a, a river near the alleged impact site that leads right to where the entities near where the entities were seen. It's just speculation and nobody knows for sure how they got from the impact site to the river. Some people said maybe they had an escape pod. Some people said maybe they got in the river. Nobody knows. Mm. But about and six miles. I see. And as the crow flies. 
Has anyone ever talked about retrieval? Military X is the closest we got because he was at, he was stationed at, as a military base. And well, we had we, we had a couple people that we interviewed from as a military base, and they they had talked about all this unusual activity at the time, like activity that's never before or since happened. Secrecy, weird activity, Americans flying in. Um, and according to Military X's good friend who was stationed, who's also at, as a military base, he was involved with the, um, the ground operation uh, the Army had for the, uh, for the crashed object. But Military X was not involved with that aspect. He just said, this is what my friends said, that it all started at Maiolini Farm, which is where Carlos de Souza, the ultralight pilot and, and, and professor in Sao Paulo, uh, saw this strange cigar-shaped object crash on the morning of January 13th, 1996. And was that the same, the same day that no. the creatures... No, nope. the girls saw the creatures on the 20th. Wow. So seven days went by. Seven days. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I, I, I didn't know that part of it. Now, how, after this happened, um, how long did it stay relevant that you're aware of? Like maybe military interrogations or like the buzz. How long did the buzz last before it just kind of faded away? Do you Did you look into any of that? Um. Yeah, I would say probably 18 months. You mm. know, in the military, uh, we we actually have the archive press conference uh, that uh, General Lima had given at, as a military base. I, I don't know if you remember that part of the film or not. It's towards the end. Uh, it's it's quite, it, it, it speaks volumes, not just what he says, but what he doesn't say. Hmm. I, I do remember. I do remember that. Yes. Um, now, as let's just talk about what's been happening uh, since the film has come out, uh, and what's been the reaction of the media, for one thing, to to your film. Well, I know how skeptical I was. In fact, I wouldn't even call it skeptical. I would call it dismissive as someone who was making their second documentary on the topic of UFOs dismissed it so quickly. So I know what we're up against in the terms of, of um, acceptance or even willingness to look at the, the case. And I say to people, look, I get it. Um, but I'm asking you just, you know, and just imagine just suspend judgment and imagine if it did happen, uh, you know, um, how significant of a story would it be, but also uh, to just listen to the eyewitness testimony and and uh, uh, and draw your own conclusions. Um, remarkably, so far, it hasn't gotten the level of mainstream attention that the phenomenon got, hmm. uh, but it's been getting some attention. Um, we got we were on uh, CNN for I don't know seven plus minutes the other night that very rather serious um show i did fox news that was rather serious it wasn't um ridiculed uh we've been written up in a few publications done countless uh you know radio and 
a few TV appearances, um, getting write-ups all the time. It's getting great reviews. People just saying, look, I understand like how this sounds, but, but take a moment and look at this film. It's actually, you know, and um, <clears throat> I understand that there's going to, because I feel like a, I'm, I'm out there a little bit um, being hung out to dry a little bit. You know, you've got all the, um, you know, the military intelligence people that I'm sure have a lot more answers that could, uh, that could add credence to this case. And I'm hoping that that uh, is something that's going to occur in the not so distant future. I'm told that it is, but we'll see. I would feel it would be nice to have a little more support. And I know, you know, people are probably scratching their heads and thinking, do, do, do I want to get into this arena or not? And I don't blame them, particularly the fact that, you know, we do uh, in no uncertain terms point the finger at the United States involvement here. Um, yeah, which is really to, bizarre. According to the Brazilian. I mean, look, we had no intentions when we were in the field. We were just asking these questions. Eyewitnesses were telling us about these men that showed up and dark, spooky men in dark suits and the intimidation and and then the flight control guys that were saying that the you know that a United States Air Force came in. So we have like the the people on the ground in the army base telling us everywhere where these things went, right? In great detail. And then we have on the very day that those you know, alleged beans arrive at Espesex uh, military base in Campinas. We get the flight controllers telling us that this United States Air Force flight flew in unauthorized from the Brazilian government. Yeah. To covert mission that lands and s dispatches two helicopters. Those helicopters go to Virginia. Hello. Okay. And then come back to Espesex Campinas military base. And Back to the United States, you know, like, boy, that's quite a bit, quite a bit of a, but a bit of a coincidence, don't you think? <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, how is this impacting in Brazil? Is hmm. what's going on when people see this film there? Um, it's been, uh, it hasn't been, it's, it's the price point for uh, the, purchase of the film which just changed today or yet or last night now it's available to rent which makes it a lot more affordable the first couple of weeks it's a thing they do they sell it only and you get the bonus material blah 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 um now that price point has jumped down but despite that it has been trending as uh i think last i heard was number 28 of all films on the uh, apple i guess it's apple or itunes i think in in brazil but that was a purchase price but that's mm. gone down as of today, basically this morning. Um, it's been uh, performing very, very well. And there's a couple of uh, very big platforms that are negotiating distribution in all of Brazil as of like right now. I see. Now, what is the most common debunk, no matter what case there is, mm. there's debunking always. And so what is the most common theme of um a, a debunker so about what, this case what the uh what the brazilian military was trying to do was to get uh the mother of the of the two daughters to basically and bribe them with money to and i've got their testimony on camera talking about this and get them to say that it was like a deranged man 
who had health issues that was kind of homeless and he was curled up in this weird position and in actuality it was just that they have a name for him he's known in the town of virginia i've actually seen him um and they refused to do it so mm-hmm. the military put out a statement that what the girls saw was just this like deranged man and, and, and a midget you know just, just absolutely absurd and, and all the locals and anyone who had anything to do with the case laughed it off but uh you know people that were unfamiliar with the case yeah you know, it, it added it it add, it muddied the waters a little bit it muddied that's, the waters. that's their purpose and uh yeah uh everyone also one of the things i'd mentioned you know was the oily skin the red eyes but the forked feet that's another one that everyone also mentions yeah so you know hands yeah yeah so it was like this now we were speculating that there was another appendage that was usually kind of tucked in like this but when they walked it came out which would um because it'd be much harder to walk on this than it would be on this Hmm. um which would explain the uh mother of the two girls when she went to the site right after the girls had claimed to have seen this thing it had an imprint in the sand there and the imprint was like that and she drew it on on paper but she said it was clear as day like there was that weird footprint um hmm. not, and these things were they were the naked, smell. basically smell. yeah the smell yeah. Mm-hmm. everyone talks yeah. about the smell and how they couldn't get rid of the smell and they yeah. said like you know, if you've ever been close to a skunk, like close range <laughs> to a skunk, when it, yeah. when it released its its magic, um, yeah. they said it was like a hundred times stronger than that. Oh, terrible. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Now, I, I'm going to post a couple of questions. And just in uh, three mm-hmm. minutes here, we're going off KGRA radio. And uh, if it's okay, we'll go a little longer. Okay. Um, and just uh, just to let the people know over in KGRA Radio, next week's going to be George Simpson on the Valentech uh, UFO oh, incident in Australia. When I was yeah. in Australia, somebody let me hear that. Um, oh, the tape, un- the original? Wow. That was spooky, man. Wow, I would love to hear that. He's because what, what you can hear on it now, right now is a, oh, I heard is it. A, I heard it. I heard it. A, a remake. Yeah. No, no, I heard it, and it was very spooky because he's describing this object. It's not an aircraft. It's not an aircraft. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. And then you hear this, like, metallic sound, and then mm. gone. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that's another really compelling case. So here's a, a question in the chat, uh, Dr. Richard. How did the witnesses respond to yes, the Medinino yes. explanation? Oh, it was – it's an absolute, complete, and utter joke. I mean – the witnesses are like, I'm not even going to answer that. That's just absurd. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't even know what does that mean. The Medino. Medino is the little, small, kind of slightly um, disfigured. He's he's got uh, a, he's got a physical handicap, and he's just kind of small and kind of slightly just disfigured. And um, yeah, and his Medino is he's the guy I've seen him. He was pointed out to me just last year. He's still around. Um, you know, here's here's a question. Someone wanted to know if you would ever make a documentary on the Socorro UFO incident. But I guess what I'd like to ask on top of that. Did. <laughs> huh? yeah, I did. That was already. part of it in the phenomenon. Yeah, but ha- have you have do you have something else uh, planned? That's something I have to ask you. Do you have a, after this one, is there, I mean, you never sit still. 
<laughs> so uh, in still now. <laughs> I know. So do you have something else? Yes, I'm, I, I, I want to. Um, I, I want to go after the evidence. You know, I I I had the uh, distinct um, honor of being able to thank you, George Knapp, interview the late Senator uh, Harry Reid. Harry, yeah. And when he said what he said to me on camera regarding the evidence that has been revealed to the general public being just the tip of the iceberg. It's what we've kind of all suspected. And I'd met with a number of military witnesses and civilians too, primarily military, that had handed over very compelling evidence of the phenomenon and to some unknown government agency only to be whisked off and disappeared in some vault somewhere. So when he said, you know, look, what's been released is only the tip of the iceberg, it makes you want to dig a little deeper. And then, of course, when I did this story and found out the Americans' involvement and found out the Americans came and took the bodies, according to all the military witnesses that we spoke to. James, I have to do this real quickly. We're going off KGRA radio. Thank okay. you, everyone. We'll be back next week. And go ahead, continue, please. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I decided that I, I wanted to... Um, uh, I, I want to go after it. I want to start asking questions. I want to walk the halls of Congress. I want to talk to people part of the task force. I want to know where these, this evidence is mm. and who has the authority to release it. I would like to know that, too, because it exists. We know it does. Somewhere. And uh, whether it's, it's yeah, I mean, whether it's hidden away from oversight somehow through you know, uh, a private entity or something. I mean, it just seems like, I mean, there's, you could go on and on. How could you know? Yeah. Well, how can you know it's there like Senator Reed and not know where it is? So, you know, Hmm. in other words, it has to exist because he's talking about it. He knows it's there and it can't be It's like, who can release this stuff? That's the, the million dollar question. Where is it and who can release it? Enough of these blurry videos. Like, let's put that to rest once and for all. And, and, um, hang on just a minute. A uh, question just came up here. Um, through my text, I get, uh, this is from my buddy, Dean Alioto. Um, uh, Dean. Yeah, Dean, he just texted me. What do you think? This is his question. What do you think the effect on humanity be, would be if they were shown such hidden evidence? The evidence you're talking about. Well, I mean, look, I, I think if it was, I mean, we've already had disclosure with a small D, right? Hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of unfolding as as we as we sit and talk. Um, however, I think if it was confirmed on a global level, uh, with it would have to be in cooperation with you know governments. Um, I, I've said this before. I've been, I've been, I'll, I'll say it again. I, I'm a firm believer that it would have a very unifying effect on uh, on humanity. That mm. it would um, kind of force us to see ourselves for who we really are, and that is uh, one people, one one species, one race, one planet. Um, and uh, I long for that 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 revelation mm-hmm. that that impact but i'm but i'm convinced that it it that it would 
um, have that effect on us. So, um, you know, some people say, look, you know, organized religions would crumble on the financial markets. Yeah, I don't like, think so. I yeah. don't necessarily believe that. I mean, like maybe they know something that's truly horrifying that, that rightfully so they feel they need to keep from us. But even if it's scary, I still think that we should know. It's part of the bigger picture. It's part of who we are. And, um, you know, look, um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell said to me, you know, we still have to take out the garbage and yeah. go to and, work. And I agree with that. I, and I think, personally, I think that, um, you know, we're such an ephemeral society anyway. Like, oh, that's amazing news. And oh, my God. And a month later, we'd all be doing uh, looking at our iPhones. And, and, you know, I think we would just kind of move on just knowing unless... You know, we knew something that they were were uh, were on the menu. I, I had think. a guy in a parking lot just recently. <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> Looking at his phone, walking, walks right into my car. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yes. yeah. oh my god! You're walking through a crowded parking lot with cars, and you're staring at your phone. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, you oh. see that all the time. Oh yeah. my god. What is going on? I know, guys. Yeah. Walking hey, across the street. Could you imagine walking across a crosswalk? Looking. I at have seen it. You know, when way back, I'm talking about over 10 years ago, I was on a bus at Logan Airport, and a woman walked right across the street looking at her phone, and the bus had to slam on the brakes. You know, so that that's going way back before Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, so... Uh, again, I'm going to try to put up some of these questions. Yes. Um, did Ray wanted to know? Did they take a skin graft? Do we? What do we know that they did in the hospital? Do we know anything? Well, from what the doctor told me, um, I should have asked those those specific questions. That's a good question. Um, and I mentioned it in the movie. There was an unknown substance, eight percent. I don't know, I'm not sure if it, was, if it was a bacteria or what it was. It's in the autopsy report. There was something unknown to the doctors they couldn't recognize that they believe caused Marco Terese's immune system to systematically shut down and that the antibiotics that they were giving him to treat this general infection was powerless. And wow, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. Uh, so this kind of goes along with what you uh, were talking about earlier. Did you look up anyone in the U.S. to see if it was brought here? So that was just basically a rumor. Um, you didn't. Ha there's no real confirmation that the Zero. beans were brought. Yeah. Zero. Up here. Nope. So, just the Brazilian it, right now. Nothing in America. But I haven't stuck my teeth into this one yet. Yeah. Well, it's such a strange thing that. <clears throat> pardon me. That we would show up there. The U.S. would show up there to begin with, and. You know, I mean, it, it's so bizarre to hear I mean, that we would we have go to a different country yeah. well, for something like this. You know what? I, I tell you, pretty much every single case that I have personally investigated dating back to the 50s, I have either witnesses on camera or that have told me personally that there was an unknown U.S. government agency, a man in a suit, plain clothes, there trying to either sanitize, you know, take the evidence, 
um, influence the witnesses, uh, you know, both military and civilian. I mean, I could go on until tomorrow morning. But when I came to Brazil, and when the mother of those two young women uh, was coerced and and tried to be manipulated and um, bribed um, by... um, she called them foreigners. She was pretty convinced that two of them were from the United States, but they were quiet with clipboards. Uh, I don't know. I felt compelled that I can no longer ignore this aspect of the phenomenon, that there truly is some unknown. I know it's like such a buzzword, right? You go, oh, men in black. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you just want to just go, oh, God, not this. <laughs> but I, I felt compelled to no longer ignore and to actually include um testimony like i said i i've got testimony dating back to the 50s of people talking about this this unknown government agency that's um just uh harassing basically harassing trying to influence them trying to you know take any photographic evidence they may have digging through their homes intimidation that kind of thing the only thing i think it could sound like a branch of is the cia you know i mean what other group, government group, would be involved in something like this? Well, they've got a they've got a an uncanny ability to um, monitor all these cases because mm. you know I, I could tell you an example when I interviewed Parviz Jafari in two thousand seven. He was the Iranian pilot that had this dramatic encounter with the UFO. Oh, yeah. Tried mm-hmm. to shoot at it in nineteen seventy seventy three. Six, mm-hmm. yeah, over mm-hmm. Tehran, and um, he said that the very next morning, there were deep in the debrief, there was a a man from the United States there asking questions, and <laughs> you know, when I was interviewing uh, General William De Brower, Wilfred Wilfred De Brower, Wilfred, uh, he, yeah, yeah, I think it was uh, late eighties, early nineties, that flap over Belgium. The mm-hmm. big triangular shape, you know, yeah. these scrambled jets, yada, yada, yada. And Wilford de Brower said that there were two men in suits from the U.S., some unknown government agency, and they were um, they were asking for the video, to, the cockpit recordings of, of these jets that were scrambled to intercept. And Wilford de Brower said, sure, I can make copies of those for you, but I need an official request. And they refused to do that because then there'd be a paper trail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk to... Um, uh, uh, Deputy Base Commander C- Colonel Charles Halt regarding the, the Bentwaters UFO incident, December 1980. And he said that uh, men from an unknown government agency showed up and um, basically took over, subjected his witnesses, his men, to uh, sodium pen- pentothal, I guess it mm-hmm. is, the serum, as mm-hmm. well as like, you know, just obfuscated whatever evidence there was on the base. He didn't know where they were from. They flew in from some other base. Well, and and it's the, on and on and on and on yeah. and on and on. Think about the 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 Princeton, um, you know, the Tic Tac, uh, yeah. with the plain clothes. You know, it wasn't a suit, but still plain clothes. Two people show up and take the data bricks. You know, they're released to them, mm. and they show up on an aircraft carrier, not the Princeton, the uh, Nimitz. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's so, so bizarre. And it's you know, you can go back on through time and all kinds of cases and someone shows up mysteriously and like you said very quickly after 
Yeah, there was uh, the the McMinnville, Oregon case. Yeah, with Paul and Evelyn Trent. Mm-hmm. There was the 1965 Santa Ana Rex Heflin mm-hmm. with the Polaroids. He had right. government agencies showing up harassing him. Actually, took his photographic evidence. It was returned to him before he died, twenty whatever thirty years later. Which uh, um, Anne Hogel? Yeah, yes, it's in her safe. Um, yeah, but she's deceased. Yeah, but her daughter has it. I talked okay, to her. Good, yeah. good. God, yeah. I loved her. We we did a a brilliant interview with her on camera, which at some point I should release that with her holding those amazing Polaroids. I got to hold those in my hand. Yeah. But in any case, Evelyn Trent in 1950, McMinnville, Oregon. She had this guy show up in a suit from an unknown government agency and ransacked her whole house. Where I know there's negatives here. What else you got? There's more photographs, this kind of thing. And just left her house just totally trashed. And and amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, it just goes on and on and on. So, you know. <laughs> and it's not like a it's not like Project Blue Book. I mean, there are some cases where you know someone showed up from there shortly after, quickly after, but uh an incident. But it's not like uh they're letting themselves be known who they are. Well, you know, it reminds me of the 1964 Socorro, New Mexico case with Officer Lonnie Zamora. Somebody had just mentioned it earlier on the show. Right. And uh, I have a tape recording of Officer Zamora talking about, uh, you know, the military officers and the FBI were on the scene like lickety split. I mean, within under an hour. I mean, the, the bushes were still smoldering, footprints from the creatures, all that stuff. And he said that they took him in to a room and basically interrogated him for hours, hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. They had a book of photographic evidence on other similar cases in the, in and around the area. Yeah. And uh, basically told him, don't talk about it. And the, and the aspect they, they, that they really didn't want to talk about him talking about was the close encounter of the third kind was the fact that he claims to have saw to have seen entities associated with that landed craft, which he described as a white egg which right. kind of reminds you of a Tic Tac a little bit, but he described it as an egg. And, um, but that was one aspect that according to officer Zamora, that the military just absolutely did not want him to go into because it's much more difficult to uh, explain beans on the ground than it is an unknown object in the sky. I interviewed this guy and I came upon him randomly. I remember his first name is George and I'd have to look it up, but he, as a child, um, back in the uh, late fifties, I think it was, uh, had quite a UFO sighting, and he wrote a letter to the Air Force and sent it to them. His mother let him do it, and these two guys show up, uh, one in uniform, one not in uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he later identified as Rupal, um, and so they showed up at his house and Rupel, yeah Rupel from from uh yeah from project blue book yeah so they show up at his house and they he bring him into his room into a room talking to him about you know exactly what he saw and all this and they brought in a photo album and showed him pictures and was saying did it look like this did it look like this and he was here looking at these different ufos and then they kind of really interrogated this little kid nine years old or something like that it's quite a story, but you know, I mean, for someone to write a letter and someone to show up is well, you know, what's really funny is that I uh got to go through 
uh, Lonnie Zamora's with the um, um, uh, his wife Mary agreed. Uh, he was had unfortunately uh, died in two thousand eight, I think it was. Um, and Mary died. Uh, his wife died, I think, last year or maybe twenty twenty. Yeah. COVID, unfortunately, she yeah. got she got she got COVID. Yeah. Um, bless her heart. She let me go through Lonnie's uh, duffel bag of material from, you know, 50 plus years, I guess, from that case. Wow. And he had all these letters and I scanned as much as I could um, with her blessing. And uh, there was one in particular and it was a guy had a rather one-off name. It was something Seacrest. Anyway, I just, it was clearly a guy, I mean, a, a young lad that might've been like, you know, seven or eight, nine years old who writes this letter, dear Lonnie, you know, friend of mine's got these, you know, photographs of something similar to what you saw. We live over here. Love to hear back from you. Very curious to what you saw. And I thought, eh, you know, this, I, I looked at the guy and, and I found him on Facebook <laughs> 50 years later. And I, I amazing photographs and I said, did you write this letter? And he said, Oh my God, that's me. I, I can't believe that. He said, Lonnie never wrote me back. Wow. I said, well, I found the letter at Lonnie's home. And, uh, you know, I just thought I would uh, say hello. <laughs> and I well, think his letter is actually in the movie. Yeah. Jen, something Seacrest. Anyway. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Well, I got to say, James, you live the life. You know, you live the life I would love to live and, and go to these places and talk to these people and actually, you know, get this great stuff. And I do have to say my two yeah. favorite movies when I first started looking into this, I've told you this before, was Out of the Blue and I Know What I Saw. Those are absolutely my favorite movies when I started looking into the subject and they still, they still say, hold up. Thank you. Uh, you know, I actually watched... Out of the blue, the director's cut, because I spent another couple years on on that film after we finished it and sold it to NBC Universal. Uh, did a lot of work to it. Whew, wow. I mean, almost made it a new film. But uh, and I watched it in a theater maybe seven or eight years ago. And I thought, oh God, am I ready for this? You know. <laughs> but honestly, I was shocked at how well it I am how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's a oh, good it's great, film. and I I suggest to any of the listeners out there if you haven't watched yeah. this, it's it's one to watch. It's a great. I one. mean, I don't know. I I thought that I know what I saw was a little better, but a lot of people don't feel that way, so I don't know. Yeah, well, they both deserve a look at, if you ask me. I mean, you um, can tell the difference between me in Out of the Blue and I know what I saw, and me in Moment of Contact, because yeah. I've got like you know. Probably the better, yeah, 20 years, 20 years on me. I had no gray hair. <laughs> I had a beautiful, like, you know, young, youthful face. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, I think you're aging really well myself, but. Oh, um, no, hey, I'm, I'm yeah. not complaining at all. I'm just, it's just funny, you know, it's, it's funny yeah. to see yourself over the yeah. decades, you know, especially when right. it's documented like that, you know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so getting back to the case here, I'm going to pop, pop up some questions. Um, the uh, Virginia. Oh, now Ray wanted to know why 
didn't, I know you probably don't have an answer for this, but why didn't the x-ray technician ever get the substance tested after people left his room? Had you ever spoken to the x-ray technician? I can't remember. Yeah, he went uh, on, on camera, but had, you know, from the back and had to have his voice disguised. He was terrified. And I think uh, Marco Leal spent seven or eight years uh, convincing him to finally coming forward and then doing so. Look, we didn't have an option. It was like, you know, you're going to film me from the back and disguise my voice or I'm not coming in this film. That's it. He said that the military arrived at the hospital, big military scene, trucks, jeeps, police, everybody armed, and there wasn't a lot of talking. This is what you're going to do. They put this thing in a, in a body bag on the table. You're going to take these x-rays. You're not going to look at these x-rays. You can't, you can't even verify that the x-rays came out. Hmm. And he said that smell of that thing was the, the so bad they had to close that section of the hospital off for several days while they disinfected it. Jeez. And it, it lingered in his sinuses. And and uh, I, I don't know, you know, it was in a body bag. So, you know, he, like I said, he couldn't, I don't think there was anything to analyze. Hmm. So he didn't have access to any of it. Wow. Wouldn't it have been cool if he would have made a couple extra copies and didn't tell them? <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's it seems like, you know, if this video ever comes out, I mean, that and it's considered authentic in every which way. I mean, that seems like a game changer for everything. I, I think so. You know, I mean, ultimately, I would love to see it come out in an official capacity. I mean, I'd love the Brazilian military to say, you know what? It's been 26 years. The vast majority of us leaders at the time. Olympio and and uh, Lima uh, since retired we're um, in our twilight years and uh, we're gonna go ahead and and release it now that would be the most legitimate way obviously if it's gonna have to be done anonymously then of course there's gonna be a lot of people that aren't gonna believe it and I don't blame them yeah um, so you know uh, we're doing the best we can Uh if anybody thinks that uh, it's not an all hands on deck situation, I beg you guys to think again. If anybody thinks that there's anybody out there that wants to get their hands on this more than me, then I, I ask you to reconsider that as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, every time someone creates a film of any kind, like you have here, there seems like, uh, seems like they get contacted by witnesses. Has that happened? Like all of a sudden has have, new witnesses come forward or anything like that, or new stories from people two. that may have been involved too. Two. Mm -hmm. And that's just getting started. Yeah. This has not blazed its way across Brazil yet. Mm -hmm. In fact, the film is just getting out there now. I mean, it's going to be a while. I mean, it's only been like what, two weeks. If that, mm. yeah, probably two mm -hmm. weeks. So, there's another premieres that are happening in Virginia, I think, on the... Heck, what's the date today? Uh, today is the first. So I think on the 8th, there's going to be two premieres in the town of Virginia with the mayor and wow. a whole bunch of people. It's going to be a kind of a big deal. The press yeah. is going to be there. Um, so, like, th this is just getting out there. I'm extremely confident that additional... Uh, eyewitnesses this is what we were hoping this film would do its job is to trigger 
further uh, you know, military to come forward, encourage further possible uh, you know, United States cooperation for them to come, for somebody uh, on that side to come forward. And I'm, I'm confident that, that that will, it always does happen. It always does yeah, happen. It does. And um, you, you mentioned earlier that people seem to be very cautious and not really, every person you said was hard to talk to about, oh, did not, not want to talk about. Almost impossible. And is that because of intimidation? Yeah, they were terrified. Hmm. Every single witness and they weren't like, I didn't have anyone sit there and say to me, oh, if you do this, I'm going to shoot you and your family. That's not what they said. Hmm. You know, it was like the consequences will be very severe. Do not, yeah. you know, when we were in Virginia, we had either just met with some military guys or we were about to meet with them. And the military base as a, started calling around to the witnesses. Hey, how you doing? You still living over at uh, this address? Oh, good, good, good. How's the family? Mm -hmm. Jeez. Hey, um, there's an American documentary film crew here now. Did, 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 did they reach out to you? Have you met with them? Did you hear anything about them? Kind of thing. Yeah, that was so still ongoing. Twenty six yeah. years later. That was that was spooky. Yeah, that is. That, that was is. spooky to them, and it was spooky to us because we'd just gotten you know, threatened at gun, you know, didn't pull the gunner out in our face, but like bullets are going to start flying basically if you don't get the hell out, out of here. Mm -hmm. And I asked, you know, people also, because people kind of criticize like, oh, you went to the guy's house. What did you expect? I'm like, well, you know, every other option had been exhausted for 26 years. So with the help of the mayor, the current mayor of Virginia, we located this witness and went to his house. Hmm. There was no other option. It was either that or don't even bother trying. Yeah. So naturally, you know, I'm going to go out there and try. And we did. Would you have, if you could do that whole thing over again, would you have sent one person or something like that, that to that, that door? Been, that had been done a thousand times. Uh, mm -hmm. The family had done that a thousand times. Yeah. The sister had done that a thousand times. Well, you know, that, that kind of says volumes for. And I know. think that if I possibly went over there by myself. Um, and I had, I not been with the Brazilian, you know, counterparts, particularly that guy that we were with Homolo, who's quite famous in Brazil, in Virginia, he might've just shot me on the spot, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and well, that, that speaks to that. He is really scared. You know, that's, that's what that's about. There's, there's no, no other uh, reason he would act like that. Right. So, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, regarding the crash, I know I'm just going to go through these questions and then we can wrap it up basically here. Okay. I'm going to go read to my son. I'm going to read oh, to my son. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're ready to wrap up here in just yeah. a minute. But uh, so there was never. Every night. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Ollie. Hey, Ollie. I know. Um, a little Ollie. Yep. Uh, all right. Great kid. So what was the evidence for a crashed ship? Was debris ever seen? Now, did your witness actually see, he saw a crash? Oh, so yeah. He actually did he go? Yeah. Yes. He held the debris in his hands. He did. Oh, yeah. And it crumpled yeah. it up. Mm -hmm. And just like Roswell. It, yeah. It and we released. talked to the, we also, it's funny, actually, because we interviewed in 2013 the farm hand 
at Maiolini Farm, and he talked about the neighbors reporting a big boom, like a big impact. Like they heard it crash. Is it crashed at like five o'clock in the morning? So it was dusk. Hmm. And uh, or dawn. I'm so sorry, dawn. Uh, and um, uh, there were military officers on the scene. They knew it was coming down. They were on the scene within five minutes. And Carlos de Souza, the ultralight pilot and professor, had watched it crash and drove up to the debris field. Never once in a million years did he think it was an alien spaceship. He thought it was maybe some prototype, some sure. know what it was. But the smell and then the, the nature of the debris. And then, of course, the military pointing guns at him and ordering him to leave. And then the men in black that came to visit him and all that stuff. He's like, Jesus, they are really going out of their way to cover this up. Yeah, like, what I see. And then other reports started coming out of the beans. And that's OK. That's that was a vehicle from another another whatever somewhere else yeah uh james as always it's been uh, a complete pleasure to speak with you oh martin it's always a pleasure to speak with you too and it sounds like i might see you in new mexico in march maybe i, I definitely would consider that okay and it would be great to do some type of show or something there too i always like to have that so i can write it off you know for taxes Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, such a pleasure. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, oh, I ask your audience one thing, if you don't mind, I know some people might consider it a bit of a pain in the neck. It's extremely helpful to me, to us is to rate the film on iTunes or Amazon. If you rent it, it's very helpful to rate it for us. If you rent it, rent it. The cheapest place is Amazon. If you buy it, get it from, I think Vimeo or iTunes, because you get like two hours of bonus material at the same price. Wow. So if you rent it, go to Amazon. If you buy it, do it at iTunes. And if you could rate rate the film on Amazon, iTunes, that would be tremendously helpful with the algorithms and, and, and uh, greatly appreciated. Excellent. All right, James, you take care, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Martin. Bye. All right. Yeah, bye. All right, everyone, uh, don't forget, we'll be back next week with George Simpson talking about the Valentech uh, Australian case. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm -hmm.